Hello, welcome. This is the podcast with this guy who shall not be named. And with me today is Tyler. Tyler, how are you? Good. I'm doing great. Sven. <laughs> Here with Sven. <laughs> this guy podcast. He is the guy podcasting. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing from him, go ahead and subscribe on the podcast app on iTunes or on Stitcher or on Spotify, wherever you are listening to us. We will appreciate it. We're talking about editing scenes iconic movies and we'll analyze scenes and talk about the editing and try to take something away that could be helpful for our work as well as tyler's cat and maybe you as well <laughs> yeah we have a s little bit of a co-host joining us that you may or may not hear throughout and we're just admitting it now because we are editors and we realized immediately this is going to be a lot of editing if he keeps it up <laughs> uh, <laughs> It'll be fun. It's a new. It's a new host. So Sven, how I heard about this new video that you you didn't say this, but I'm assuming it was inspired by our Peter Rabbit podcast. First of all, you heard about it because we just talked about it before we started recording. <laughs> Secondly, this video has nothing to do with Peter Rabbit. It's about music in film, specifically the question: When should you use music in a scene? When should you cut it into it? One of the scenes is actually from the movie we're going to be talking about today. Very cool, and it's also a movie that I had wanted to do this with for quite a while. Dissect, because I there was something about this scene when I first saw it in the theater that I realized I'd never seen anything like it, and attributed it to the editing, and I've subsequently reversed that opinion. But I'm very curious what you think of it, Sven. Yes, before we get into it, I also wanted to point out that this is our 10th episode. So we're officially a two-digit podcast. It feels amazing. It feels great to be part of the club of the two digits podcast. I read somewhere that 70% uh, of all podcasts don't make it past episode three. So now we're in the big league. How does it feel? <laughs> it, feels it feels more real than it did in episode four. <laughs> it just feels more real. <laughs> Like it's it's happening, but no, we've we've had. I mean, we've gotten this great response to it. It's really cool to see people suggesting stuff that we're reacting to. We get these really incredible videos from Dennis, which we should talk about. We had Clara recommend that we do that scene from In the Mood for Love last week. So it's really cool that there's kind of a community building, and the ultimate goal, of course, is to inspire people to make films. Just shoot stuff so that you can just edit, and that's our big goal: is that you check in every week and get a little little more wind in your sails to do just that. Nice, nice. You, you finished talking about that video? No, I guess I could say something more. First of all, so this is a really special video because I try something new in there with a brand. And I do a brand integration that's quite different from anything that I've seen or have done. So I'd be curious to know whether you think it's a little obnoxious or you think this actually works. But I thought with the subject matter, it really made sense. So I went for it. Yeah, check it out. I'm very excited to see it. Today, we're going to be talking about Itania. There was a movie that I've seen 10 years ago called Lars and the Real Girl. Do you remember that film? Right. Yeah, what does it have to do with this? It's the same director. Craig Gillespie, yeah. He has this extensive commercial career and then obviously segued into features. He did The Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm, that Disney film. He did The Finest Hours, that surprisingly good movie with uh, Casey Affleck and Chris Pine. And then he did Fright Night, which maybe was a huge misstep. But the movie I actually picked up on him 
from was this movie called Mr. Woodcock, which isn't a great movie, but it had uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Sean William Scott, and it was a comedy. And there was something about it. I didn't think the movie was great, but there was something about it. I was like, oh, this is a director that really has, is really putting something into this, has a unique spin or take or approach to this. It was a little more individual than a lot of what you see in those sort of low price range studio comedies. And then from that, he did Lars and the Real Girl right after that, even the same year. Yeah, he really has a way of dealing with dark issues in a way that he doesn't make fun of them, but yet they're still fun to watch it's like quirky in a way so i see that in itonia and i saw that definitely in Lars and the real girl yeah i made the connection because it's the same editor also which is tatiana as regal and i heard her talk about both films and then i realized oh yeah this is there is a similarity between those two films in terms of the style and the way that the story is being told what else has she done tatiana yeah okay Hold on, stand by. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, she yeah. did. Uh, she it, did the, the girl in the spider's web. Yes, yes. She did for the sure. finest hours and million dollar arm as well. So she's been neck and neck with Gillespie this whole time and Fright Night. She has. Oh, and she did Men Who Stares at Goats, the Clooney film that Clooney didn't direct, but I think Grant Heslov directed that. Clooney's producing partner. Oh, United States of Terror. I love that. So we have a couple of incredibly nuanced filmmakers in terms of the directing and editing, and they kind of mm, straddle genre in an interesting way. And some of that is what I saw, I guess, in Mr. Woodcock. I don't know, but it, I felt like it was fully realized when I saw I, Tanya, which to me had been marketed. A lot of people were excited for it, rightfully, but to me, the way it was marketed, it just seemed very, to me, like dismissible, and it had the stigma also of Tanya Harding is the, America's villain um, and all this stuff going into it, and then checked it out and was very, very, very pleasantly surprised by the film and yeah, understood all the hype, and I don't think it was, it was sold right. Yeah. what it is it definitely feels way more indie than you think it was if you haven't seen it much more low budget but so much heart in it so i Tonya is a 2017 american biographical film directed by greg gillespie it follows the life of Tonya harding and her connection to the 1994 attack on her rival nancy kerrigan uh, the film states that it's based on contradictory and true interviews with Tonya Harding and her ex-husband, Jeff, yeah. suggesting that they're both unreliable narrators. And I think we should talk for a moment about, especially in terms of editing, the power that the unreliable narrator creates yeah. for an editor in terms of the storytelling. It's essentially a device through which you're being told something that is either the truth as opposed to what you're seeing, or you're being told something and then being shown visuals that show you that this narrator is incredibly unreliable and not telling the truth. And as an editor, there's so much you can do with that device. There's so many ways you can rearrange footage and move things around to heighten and exploit moments by having an unreliable narrator. It's a really great way into seeing how your character really feels without it having to be expositional as well. Right. It gives you a lot of creative freedom, creative license to play around with things. So sometimes reality could be distorted. You don't have to be as realistic with certain experiences, which is great, because then you can be more playful with it. The other thing that's noteworthy... Sorry, something, sorry I have to punish some, someone. I'll be right back. Okay, cool. Is he hitting his cat? Is that what's going on? I'm just going to Google animal welfare right now. Just give them a heads up. 
Might be too late though. Is everything alright there? You good? He started chewing into a bag of fucking laundry detergent. <laughs> oh, so you were saving him as opposed to trying to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it sounded like something different than what it was. I was giving a play oh, by okay. play. <laughs> Sent an unreliable narrator. He did not tell you what was happening. All right. <laughs> so sorry. So unreliable narrator. Gives you a creative license. Which is a good device for this film because we are getting a completely different perspective than what we've been fed through the media on her side of the story, which is something we were never given, whether you support it or not. So as always, we have a YouTube clip that we're going to put it into the description of this podcast and see if you want to watch along. If you are on a run or you're in a commute, you can't actually watch the video. That's fine too. We're going to describe it for you, then talk about the editing. You ready? Who's going to talk about it? Uh, let's both. Okay. We're starting at zero, zero. And three, two. Okay. So here we are. We're getting ready to go onto the ice with Tanya. And this is just an incredible tracking shot right here. This is one of the things I watched rewatching. It was the main point of why I think this scene ended up impressing me so much, which we'll get into in a moment. But look how incredible this shot is. It's wrapping around her. It's ending in this wonderful composition. And then we have this great cut point right here that, with the music edit. And that just gives it a lot of great energy. We're back into another wonderful tracking shot. Yeah. It moves right into skating. I mean, it's really unbelievable what they're allowed to capture. Another yeah. just amazing shot of the judges. And look at this push-in on the husband. Yeah, that's really significant, all these push-ins right now. Yeah, cutting to the skating is very powerful, to the skates on the ice. Those cuts are what made me really kind of take notice of this. Push in right here, very nice. There are some invisible edits here, I'm sure we're gonna identify when we yeah. go back, another push in. Sure, and there is actually an edit I really don't like in this, <laughs> I realize too. Oh, I'd be curious to see which one. <laughs> How do you feel about... I don't think that's her right there, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I was gonna talk about that. He's loving it. She's doing great. And then this is definitely Margot Robbie. So we're seeing the whole routine. Mm -hmm. And this is inspired, obviously, by the actual routine that Tonya Harding did. I actually watched that one. I have something mm -hmm. to say about how they did this different than the real one. Oh, wow. Okay, there was an invisible cool. cut right there. Yeah. And then it is over. They're impressed. We know she's done well through their reactions. The mom is not having it. Camera pushes in. This is all one shot right here from the monitor mm -hmm. to her, and then she leaves all pissed off. Like the judges expect a conventional be conventional. And your scores reflect that. I did the triple axel. I'd have to give me my fucking scores. Sometimes I can't. And we're done. Great. God, there's so much to talk about. I love it. Can I just quickly talk about what it is that I realized made this scene stand out to me so much? Yeah, go for it. Because what we're seeing is we're just seeing this incredible quantity of amazing and fluid and effective tracking shots. Shots, right right which i don't know this didn't really dawn on me watching it why and as an editor i was thinking man imagine having this footage to cut with mm -hmm. when they would cut to the ice skates a close an insert of the ice skates that in the same shot becomes you know a tracking shot that's surrounding her as she's spinning around i mean so much amazing stuff and i realized 
listening to an interview with the director that that wasn't necessarily planned where they blocked all that out, tracked it out and everything. What happened is they had a camera person when they're sitting there trying to figure out how to shoot this scene weeks before, yeah. months before even, who said, hey, I, I skate. And they're like, okay, like, all right, so I guess you can have skates on. Like, the idea of a camera person being on ice skates seemed weird to them. He's like, no, no, I really skate. Like, let me show you something. And went with a friend of his who is a skater, put on some skates, and ice skated with her as she did some routine. And then showed them the footage. Like, this is what I can do. And they were like, holy crap. So you think about what we essentially have here, Sven, is we don't have set tracks. We don't have rollers we don't have a dolly we don't have a jib we have a dude on ice skates who can go anywhere on this entire rink and create an amazing tracking shot or go from one tracking shot to another and that's why when you look at this scene you see this incredibly impressive camera work and unless someone wants to do a movie on an ice planet it's hard to imagine a scene where you like i want to just start icing sets being able to move a camera like that it's it's impossible in any other situation i think the most amazing thing of that story is that they didn't hire somebody that is a skater and a cameraman it just <laughs> happened and that's filmmaking right you're discovering the stuff in the moment in rehearsal or on set or in the editing and that's what makes it mm -hmm. so special. I experience that over and over again, that suddenly I have an idea because I'm in the middle of doing it and then something pops mm -hmm. up and I could have never thought about this if I wasn't, yeah. if it wasn't being offered up to me in the moment because the footage is speaking to me or whoever I'm working with is giving me an idea or they're suggesting an idea to why don't we do it this way yeah that's really incredible as a non-skater you have to think you would never think that you're just gonna throw a guy on ice skates because you're probably uncomfortable with them if you don't skate and throw a camera on his shoulders and think you'll like because they couldn't even wrap their minds around how could he pause it wasn't just that he could skate he could do this incredible photography as well it requires a really really specific skill set like you get a great figure skater that's not going to make a great operator they just happen to get super 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 lucky with this yeah there's a roughness to the scene that has a certain charm to it that i think if like david fincher would be doing this scene it would be way more polished and you wouldn't be able to tell that there's some cgi used in here or any of that stuff but it's right. still this works better for me because it's so it's raw and authentic i love it yeah and it's so cool to look at from an editing perspective like i was saying and i don't know if that was clear but a cut like the cut to her ice skates that's such a powerful thing you can go to at any time that's such a great way to transition from a crowd reaction or something like that and yeah. and there you know again just even filming the people off the rink there's so much so many great shots they get. So I think we should talk about a couple of specifics. One is the hidden cuts in there. I'm, I'm sensing that there are like three or four hidden cuts in there. I don't know if you feel the same. But if we, for example, go to 36 seconds when we're going to her feet, I feel like there's a cut there. What do you think, Tyler? Let's see, I'm at 30, I'm watching it, she's spinning around, or she's throwing her hands up, she starts skating backwards, and you think there's a cut when it goes to her feet? Yeah. I don't think that there is, I don't want to believe there is, but there's definitely a different person's face, I mean, her face is definitely on, 
Yeah, so I guess maybe there would have to be a cut. I don't know. That's a that's a good call to put out there to the This is a maybe to the I, listeners. It definitely feels hmm. to me. Let's keep going. Okay, I'm at fifty. Fifty three. That's where the CGI we're really at fifty three we need to be talking about that. Right. For this very moment right here. Because there's just no way that's Margot Robbie. Okay, and more push ins. Mm-hmm. Just doing the final CGI spin. at one twenty four. Yep. There's one more hidden cut. I know this sure. for sure. I know the one you're talking about. 136. It's like towards the end Spinning when we in. land on her face. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Because obviously she isn't doing the spinning. That was a cut right, right there. Right here. That's where I saw So it. we are at 150 roundabout where it starts. Mm-hmm. Boom. Somewhere here at 152, I want to say, is a cut. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to raise you cuz I, I I think it's somewhere else. Oh, you I'll you, tell you where I think it is. I think it's sooner. Okay. To, to like hide it's not where you'd expect. I think it is right boom, right there, right at 146, 147 is my 146, theory. 146, 147. And then Margot Robbie I think finishes finishes this routine is my theory. Yeah, there was a cut right there. You're absolutely right. It's actually a jump cut. You know, it was just so she could finish it. But yeah, it's interesting to look at. I feel like such a jerk doing this podcast because we're taking someone's meticulous work the scene we admire so much and we're like look at this look at that they miss this they miss that and it's fine i mean uh, you know appreciating movies for the craft is is what we're doing and it still works i mean it it didn't pull me out i remember when i first saw this film i even noticed the cgi like if we go back to Mm -hmm. one on 53 54 just freeze it there for a second look at the face this almost feels like just photoshopped in i know they did some tracking and some 3d scanning and all that stuff to make it look as perfect as possible and they had a real cgi company do it but if i look at a david Mm -hmm. fincher film and you look at uh, brad pitt's face you cannot tell that that's cgi yeah they have a lot more money on those movies i think as part of it and yeah this is a very specific challenge with the movement what did she look like on that green screen stage you know what i mean yeah it just seems like such a complicated thing to mirror but then also mirror it in a way so the motion blurring matches so it's clearly more it's a very big challenge obviously yeah some films would handle that better but it, it is one of the things i was aware of watching the movie i think specifically the spinning i was like that's her face but yeah. i don't know who's who's doing that skating if you go to 123 and just freeze it and look at her face right it just doesn't work this whole section but it's cool to look at this and dissect it and figure out where... Because there are a couple moments where I'm thrown around. Like, well, there's no way. Why would it be... Like, why would the cut be where Sven said it is? Because the fake face is here. Then I realized, oh, right. They were just putting her in sooner. So they're, like, finding ways to be sneaky just to make it more smooth. And manageable. Yeah. And also, the other thing about this is that as filmmakers watching this, to me as an editor or filmmaker, it empowers me. When I know about little sneaky stuff other people have done that you may is you know be like oh well that's dishonest <laughs> that eradicates this entire skate sequence no that's not the case at all it doesn't take away from margot robbie's academy award nomination it just empowers me as a filmmaker because i realize oh if this was so effective to me in the theater when i saw it yeah and it feels to me like this is like Pullman's process and that can be done mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale as well if you just have a friend with after effects you can probably get pretty close to this if you have a friend who yeah. knows how to skate and then you get a GoPro or whatever, you could tell a story that's similar in terms of the action and probably pull it off 
with very little money if you wanted to. One of the recent episodes of the Showtime show, Kidding, the Jim Carrey show, and there's a comparison online of it, but there's this amazing time transition that's done with no fades or anything. And I just figured it was all computer stuff and it's so seamless. It wasn't until a friend sent it to me a few weeks later that I realized that was 100% practical the way that they did it. And it's really cool because it's Michelle Gondry and they are just, they're cha- as the camera moves around the room, people are just running and changing the set out. So you see time transitioning. Yeah. Um, as it goes, and it's and it's really cool, and you would never know. Let's finish up the CGI part with just the note that there the audience is all CGI pretty much, at least in the white shots. Hmm. Good point. She's basically skating in an empty stadium, and that you can't tell at all. That feels like a full house. And nor are you paying attention to that. True. If you're thinking about that in the theater, then this scene ain't grabbing you the way it did me. Yeah. And also, the re- why there are possibly some hidden cuts that maybe we didn't even catch is because they need to break up the choreography. So to reset the camera and just pull off these really complicated moves, having mm-hmm. a little bit more control for each beat can be really helpful. That's why you put these hidden cuts in there, make it feel like it's one continuous movement. Nobody will ever notice, but you compartmentalize the whole thing, makes, makes it more manageable. But one one last thing I want to say about this real quick is even, and this is one of the weird ones where I watched this multiple times this week for some reason. Yeah. And even doing that, I had this takeaway from it, even until just a moment ago, you made me realize this, that, hey, you're on ice skates. They probably just grabbed a ton of options. And it has that feel. But I realized, I just figured they did the routine. She just did the routine like 40 times. And they just skated around and got it from all kinds of different angles. But you pointed out that's not the case at all because it's incredibly elaborate. It's not Margot Robbie just doing it with the guy on ice skates. They're switching between skaters. She's doing some of it. Someone else is doing other parts. So it has that illusion that it's just kind of grabbed at random when it's clearly an incredibly meticulously laid out scene and i hadn't even figured that because it was so well executed so yeah no, so this is, my hat's off this is storyboarded and figured out before and i'm sure in the editing they still change the pacing when do you go to the audience when do you go to a reaction shot that kind of stuff but the overall concept of this routine i think is pretty much planned out beforehand incredibly planned out and in, in, in terms of editing again there's not a ton of cuts in it but it's more about what's going on behind the scenes and the purpose of those cuts and what we're getting away with yeah and cheating and making us forget that it's being cheated there's so much especially in the storytelling i want to point out what i noticed when i watched the actual routine how they took creative license with that and why they made those choices so one way to do a scene like this is to be very faithful to the actual routine, the way it was covered on television back then, whenever this was. Try to recreate that moment, because it's a biopic, right? You want to recreate history. Yeah. The director felt like, no, this has to be more of an experience where you feel like you're in it with her. Right, because it's her story. We're following her arc. That's who we're tracking with. She's our protagonist, so it's very important that we're experiencing her emotions through her face in those moments. Yeah, exactly. So, And that's why he's intercutting all these push-ins to the faces of all the players in the movie. Her mother, her abusive boyfriend, spoiler alert, the judges, <laughs> the trainer, all that stuff is by design to suck us in, to make us feel like how are these characters experiencing this important moment in her career. Because even with all this, you know, this tremendous, fabulous, fun skating scene, which just on its own merits is great to watch, 
as a film, you're still completely feeling that conflict between her and her mom, yep. which is the note that this that carries it through this. It gives it that added quality. Yep. The original routine actually consisted of, I, I believe, three different songs. And the ZZ Top song is, re- is at the end, and they never used the actual lyrics, the vocals in the song, because probably it wasn't allowed or was a license issue, whatever it is. Director decides he's not going to go through three different songs. He's going to pick the best one, and he's going to go full on the way that it should be to fully enjoy this moment. I mean, this is special because... Nobody's ever done a ZZ Top song or anything like it in an ice skating routine that's supposed to be like all about grace. ZZ Top is not graceful. It's hardcore. It's rock. It's like trailer park to me in a way. And this really reflects mm-hmm. what Tonya Harding, what her background is. And to fully embrace it in that scene is a creative choice that the director made to really push the envelope. This was a really fun one to do. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about the podcast, tell them to check it out, hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening to us on. It is much appreciated and keep sending the suggestions, keep sending the feedback, get in the comments on Patreon, share your input because I feel like people are going to be able to look at this one, Sven, and have a lot of insight and notice stuff we didn't in terms of the way things are hidden, where it's CGI, where the cut was to allow the CGI, where it's real Roby, where it's not real Roby. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that, although maybe the editor and filmmaker won't be. <laughs> yeah, and let us know if... if- we were a little harsh on this. I mean, I did say, okay, that CGI shot there didn't work for me. Let me know if I was too harsh on the filmmakers, and I'd be curious to see how you felt about it. Yeah, and we're not doing it to be harsh. We're not doing it to tear down. We're doing it to learn and to give ourselves tools. Totally, yeah. sort of like understanding a three-act structure. All we want to do is appreciate it and learn from it. So, So, Sven, this happened so fast on top of Dennis putting his video out. I didn't get a chance to check it out, but it sounds like people are liking it more than the podcast. Oh, you haven't seen Dennis' video yet? You should definitely check it out. He did one for Mood of Love, which was the episode we did last time. It's our most viewed episode so far or most listened to and he did a nice visualization of the actual scene analysis and what i really like about this new one is that it's much tighter very little setup we just get right into the scene and it's a really helpful companion piece if you don't really want to play along you don't want to like press play when we tell you but you still want to see what we're talking about not just here these dennis bonus videos are just amazing thank you I like to listen. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. I like to listen to the podcast because you kind of take it in an auditory way and really kind of visualize and think about the stuff and then look at it with the actual visual examples, I think is a good way to go too. What you could also do, which is maybe another way to approach it, because I had somebody say, oh, I wish I would have seen the movie before or the scene before you start talking about it. Just click on the link of the video. Just watch the the scene without our commentary first. See what you notice. Then listen to the podcast and see if uh, if it links up. That could be also a very interesting experience. Let us know. Yeah. And as Sven always says... Yeah, what does he say? Well, I always say thank you to Kurter for the music. And Sven says... Happy, happy editing. Waiting for you. There's no same zone to put your head between the speakers. There's no same zone to put your head between the speakers. There was one cut I didn't like in this, but let's not. What was it? Let's not go back for that. Oh. I, I can't find. Oh, around 111. Um, 111. All right. 
Yeah, 110, 111. I'm going there right now. <laughs> that one. Okay. I'm, I yeah. mean, I like it. It didn't it worked for me, but it's it definitely feels like another CGI still moving across frame. Yeah. It felt like a different a different scene, like yeah. a cheap cut. Yeah. Oh my god, what are we doing? Okay. <laughs> it's a great scene. Yeah.